Good morning, my name is Holly Yamada. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and um, chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen then delivered one of the longest and most powerful speeches in the Bible in which he argued that God's presence and work was not confined to the temple in Jerusalem and that God's law was good, but that no human being could keep it perfectly. His words directed the authorities who were accusing him toward Jesus as the one and the only person who could make God known to them and who had kept the law perfectly. But he also made it known that these leaders had put Jesus to death. This brings us to Acts 7:54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Holly. And to the shepherd's class. I am so glad that you're a part of our church family. It was just to worship with you is such a great joy for me. So this was a great morning for me. But this story that Holly read, this is a tragedy, isn't it? Young man being put to death. Now I'll just tell you how I've always read it. And as she read it, it hit me again this way. I hear this story in spite of the fact that it is an awful tragedy. There's still something when I read it that's so beautiful about what we see in this young man. Does anybody agree with me there? I mean, you, you heard the story. This, w- this was a young man, 
Stephen. I mean, I think about some of the people who were baptized today. He'd already been identified as a leader in the church. And certainly, I'm, I'm sure the church people said he's a part of the future of our church. But here he is in his youth, killed because of his faith in Jesus. Now, in the midst of that awful tragedy, the, the words to describe Stephen are amazing. Listen to them. I've written some of them down. That he possessed grace and power that he spoke with the wisdom that the Spirit of God gave. Or I'm sure you noticed this one, that they looked at him and he had a face like the face of an angel. Maybe that's why they let him speak so long, I wonder. And then on, it would say they heard him and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then there's that prayer, even as they were stoning him, that he prayed, praying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So on one side, I read it, and this was a young man who was bold. I mean, he spoke and held on to his convictions. But, but his, even though he was young and he was dealing with authorities in his, in his world, he didn't take up their ways of doing things. He wasn't going to take up their bitterness. He wasn't going to take up their anger. He wasn't going to just take up their same ways of, of destroying them with his words. I'll tell you, I read this. And, and my prayer, first for me, is that when those times come in my own life where I face some opposition, that I might reflect some of the same things I see in Stephen. I, I pray that. Do you ever pray that for yourself? If you don't, I, I want you to know this. I pray it for you. I pray that those who come to Lake Avenue Church might be the kind of people who reflect in the midst of whatever happens to us in our world, our faith in Him and our trust in Him. Uh, the question I have is, where do we find the wisdom and the strength to be like this? Where, where do you find it? And, and I believe that the answer is found in what we heard our, some of our students commit themselves to today. It was in the baptism. Stephen had been baptized. Because in our baptism, as Jesse put so well, we just say, I belong to Jesus. Whatever He would have me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I belong to Him. For the rest of my life, I belong to Him. And so Stephen was a young man who had already made this commitment that he was no longer going to live for himself the way everybody else lived. He was going to live for Jesus. And he knew that Jesus had experienced death but defeated it. So he was going to trust Him and reflect the ways of Jesus whatever happened to Him in the world. See, that's what they were making, I, I think, I, I, I think that Andy and Melissa and Elizabeth knew that they were committing themselves to, the, to that uh, when they were baptized. The Apostle Paul, who was standing there hearing him do this and approving of his death, would eventually come to know the same Jesus. We'll think about that next week. And, and he would write this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Look at it. He would say eventually, And I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know what he means by that? Baptism. We are buried with Christ when we're baptized. In other words, I used to live for myself. My life was self-directed. I bury that. Now I am risen to walk and live a new life. So that Paul would say, I'm still alive. But it's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's that that made it so that when this tough time came in his life and the hostility came, he showed us the ways of Jesus. So what do we learn from him? 
I wrote down a couple of things. I want you to think about it with me this Sunday. First, we find that the Bible teaches us this at least, that true life, do you know what I mean by that? That I think God created us to live in, in a way, to find the life that he, he created you to live. True life is found, not where the world tells us, it's found through obeying God. All right, not many people in the world say that. That if you really want to live, you find it through obeying God, even if nobody else in the world does. So here's the thing I want you to see. This joy and graciousness in the midst of the hostility that Stephen had, it didn't come from where the world tells us it comes from, from getting whatever he wants. When you go home today, watch any advertisement on television. It all says if you can just get this and get your own way, have it your own way, then you're going to find joy in life. And, and the Bible says, no, no, no. You find it when you surrender your life to Christ. He, he didn't find it even in, in winning this verbal debate with those who were opposing him. He found it simply in knowing he was obeying the Lord. Now, many of you aren't here every week, but we're going through the book of Acts. And what we've been seeing all through the book of Acts is that it's a story of calling people to find their lives through obeying Jesus. Acts chapter 1, remember Jesus gave the mandate. Actually, it was a prophetic word. You're going to be my witnesses. Wherever you, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, even to the entire world, you're going to be my witnesses. And then came the opposition. Acts 4 and 5, the world's edict says, no, you're not going to be his witnesses. You can talk about anything in the public place, but not about Jesus. Then Acts 4 and 5, especially 5.29, them saying, but we must obey God rather than people, and they did. And what we have in Acts 6 and 7, are you following, following the flow of this? What we have in Acts chapter 6 and 7 is just the logical consequence of a young man obeying Jesus in the midst of his world. The opposition came and they put him to death. But he found a life there. He, 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 he showed that God was there. Um, are, are you surprised about how quickly the resistance to the church came in the book of Acts? I mean, the early part of the book of Acts, uh, it grew so fast, the church grew so fast, and, and then every, they found favor in the eyes of everyone. But already here, by chapters 4 through 7, everybody turned against them. I, I'm sure that the early church could have thought, if they thought like most of us think, well, opposition to God's ways, that might happen in another place, but not here. See, they would, in Jerusalem, this happened in Jerusalem, and their whole culture was shaped by the Bible. Um, and so when you read this story that, that Holly read for us, and you read in chapter 6, verse 13, that the authorities, the main people in that government, they, they got people to be false witnesses against Stephen. When you go in and read the story and find that they just became so irrational uh, and argumentative, and to the point that in chapter 7, is it verse 57, that when Stephen was giving testimony that he was seeing God, they just put their hands over their ears and yelled to the top of their lungs so they didn't have to listen to him. Uh, Pastor Jeff Leo in our Tuesday Bible discussion group, he said, it's like you sticking your fingers in your ears when somebody's trying to say something you don't, that you don't agree with and just saying, la, 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 la. <laughs> That's what they, now you know that for them, they, they could have easily thought, well, that, that might happen in Rome. That might happen in Athens. That might happen among the Samaritans. But it won't happen here. 
but it did. And they weren't surprised by it. And I'll just tell you again, what Stephen did in the midst of the hostility and where we see this beauty in him is that he simply obeyed Jesus. Just objectively, courageously, he obeyed Jesus. In the midst of a world that did not want him to obey Jesus, he obeyed Jesus. And he found his life through doing it. Now let me just try to bring this thing home. He, he obeyed God rather than his own natural desires, which is the hard part, right? I mean, all of it's hard, but this is the really hard part where everything inside of me says, I want to do this, and then you read the Bible and it says, but this is the way I made you to live. Then you've got a decision to make. If I'd been in Stephen's place there, I would have thought inside, what do I want to do now? I want to do what they're doing. I'm going to yell right back at them, but even louder. I'm younger than they are anyway. I can keep this up longer. That's what I would have felt like. Or... I might have thought, I keep showing up at church and this is happening? God, if, if you're real, I don't even believe in you if you let this happen to me. Isn't that how our natural inclinations would be? But Stephen had been baptized. He was going to obey Jesus. And then he also obeyed Jesus even above the edicts of those who were in authority in his world. Even though in general, you know, Christians were and always have been the very best of citizens Wherever God has put us, we're committed to be that. But in this situation where, where God had commanded him to do one thing and the authorities were commanding him to do another, he chose to obey God. And he found his life. So, now I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing. But this week in our nation, at least your senior pastor believes that our Supreme Court made some decisions that are not consistent with Bible teaching. Now, I've got to say it quickly before you run off. Not everybody at Lake Avenue Church agrees with me. Sometimes we stop and think that everybody in a church has this. That's not true of us here. So, so what I want to ask you to do as I go through this section, will you not put your uh, fingers in your ears and say, la, la, la? <laughs> and I have to make the same promise to you because it was the spiritual authorities who did this, right? I've got to make the same promise to you that if you come up and say, let's look at that Bible again and see what it says, that I will also listen and not close my ears to you. But let, let me just say this. If we come to places where our society is asking for things that are different from what the Bible asks for, we have some hard decisions to make. I, I believe that the, the decisions about what constitutes the way we're to engage in sexual activity is pretty clear in the Bible, and our culture, and not just one group, but our culture is saying something very different. And I think the Bible pretty clearly tells me what a marriage is, and the, the world is saying that it's something different. So if we say, okay, pastor, how do we make it through this thing? If we're going to learn from Stephen, we have to begin where he began. We've got to pull back and ask, what does God's Word teach? And if we do come to the conclusion that it teaches us something different from what the world is affirming, then you and I have a big decision to make. Whom will we obey? So I, I ask you to become the best student you possibly can be about what God actually teaches about moral sexual conduct and about relationships. And if you disagree about my convictions, uh, I, I hope that you will say, Pastor, let's, let's open up that word and think about that again and see how it applies. And you know what I want us to do here at Lake? I've talked about this before, but I, here, here really we're going to have to work hard at this. 
I want us to learn to listen to one another and welcome people who bring a different viewpoint, holding on to our convictions where we have them and, and arguing for them and seeking truth together. I want us to engage, I call it intellectual hospitality. Uh, that means a, a mind that's opening to welcoming somebody who will disagree with us. But then opening up this word and saying, but, but we are going to do whatever God tells us to do. Now, if we do come to the point, and are coming to the point, where we're going to have to make a lot of decisions about whether to obey God rather than what the world as a whole is saying, how do we know how to live? And I've jotted down some guidelines for us. Uh, you won't be able to write all these down. You can try if you're really fast. If you want them, they'll be online. Or you can send an email, gregw at lakeab.org. It's so easy, and, and Tiffany, my assistant, will send these to you. But here, go with me first. I want us always to remember that all authorities that exist have been created by God. There is no authority in this world that is outside His creation and outside of His control. And He's created the authorities for a reason. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 4. He even says, the authorities that exist exist for your good. I can imagine what you're thinking. That's because He lived under a perfect government. Do you know he wrote that under one of the most thoroughgoingly anti-Christian governments in the history of the world? It was under the regime of a man named Nero. It was under the same regime that eventually Paul himself, who wrote it, was put to death. And yet he still would say, listen, the authorities that are there in general are there for your good created by God. And, and bottom line, what I think he's saying is this, that there's no governmental system that is worse than anarchy which everybody just doing whatever he or she wants, which is the way I see us kind of being pushed in that direction. No government is worse than that. Even a bad government restrains some of the evil, that unbridled individualism and self-determination would unleash upon us. So because of that, the second thing, the fault to position because of that, of all Christians, was, is, and I hope always will be, that we are going to be committed to being good citizens in our nation. We're going to pray for our leaders like the Bible tells us to do it. We're going to get out there and work and serve for the good. And I'll tell you when it's possible, as is possible for us in the United States and not possible for many brothers and sisters in the rest of the world, when it's possible, we can even participate in government. I want us to engage in voting, that we can get the very best leaders there. And some of us should sense God's call even to participate actively as being a part of that government, running for office. You know, when we uh, uh, dedicate children here, we make this promise to them. We promise to work to make society a better place for our children to live in. And I, I believe that that means in part that we in our country, this wonderful country that God's given me the privilege to be a part of, should always work to vote in to install the best possible government leaders. Uh, we, we work within the laws that have been established. But, having said that, next point. In this imperfect world, sometimes a government established for our good by God misuses or abuses its authority to the extent that it issues edicts directly contradicting God's commands. You see, that's what Stephen faced. Do you see that? And when those times come, 
we have a big decision to make as those who have a face tattoo saying, I belong to Jesus. Are we going to obey God or obey what's happening in our world? And in that, this point is so clear to me. God's authority trumps all other authorities. I wanted to wait for the pause to go down so that I can say that includes your own desire to rule your own life. And that's... We have to learn to be people who trust God and obey Him whatever happens in our world. And part of that is we have to resist mandates that compel or command evil. I think it means we work non-violently within the laws of our country to change government that, that, that might permit evil. When we do obey God instead of the commands that might be there in our culture, we must make sure that before we disobey those things, that there is a direct contradiction between God's command and the world's command. It's not just that we don't like it. It's not just that we don't like that leader. No, no, no. We, get it, we fall there too quickly. We see, as Stephen said, Jesus told me to do this. You tell me to do that. I must do what he said. But before acting in opposition to the world's laws, we must, I see that in, this, in the early church, utilize every resource, engage in every rational argument, talking to one another, talking to others, um, working utilizing every appeal about why we've got to obey God and not the world's mandate. Because when I read Acts 5 through 7, I see what they did was a last resort. And now my last point. You may not have agreed with me up to now, but you may really disagree here. I think when we do and when we resist uh, what the authorities say, we have to be willing to accept the consequences of our choice to obey God. So we've got to remain faithful to tell about Jesus. We've got to remain true to our convictions about how we live. So uh, if that doesn't make sense to you, Stephen's choice, what was his choice? He could disobey God and be set free and live. Or he could obey God and be stoned. Don't you think, isn't there a third option? Are you with me here? But for him there was not. And, and what I see in him was he was willing to accept that and reflect the graciousness of God and show his faith in God in the midst of it. And he found his life. And when we do, sometimes we will face the same thing he did. But I'm going to tell you this too. When you and I are committed to being people who obey God, we're going to know that God is real. In those times when you have a hard choice and you say, I'm going to do it for you, God, whatever I am feeling like I want to do, but if you say that I'm going to obey you, we're going to see the glory of God. That, that is driven home here in, in, in Stephen's story. Did you see verses 55 to 57? Well, let me show it to you. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So as simply stated as I can, in the context of the decisions that are being made in our own country, I'm, I'm just going to keep opening this word and, and teaching 
about what God expects of us with regard to our moral conduct. And it's going to be challenging for all of us, right? And, and when we practice marriage, we're going to do it the way the Bible teaches us. And while we do that, I'm going to keep praying for our nation's leaders. And, and I'm going to keep paying taxes, too. Because both Jesus and Paul told us to do that. And I'm not going to be surprised when even in my own country things don't go the way that I think that I should. And if you come in and say, Pastor, I think you've misread those texts. I'm not going to stick my fingers in my ears and stop listening to you. I want us to talk with one another. I want us to seek God's truth with one another. I want us to find out how we apply what He says to the world that we have been put in. And I think when this world sees us as a church as diverse as this one, with such diverse viewpoints about almost anything, actually seeking God's Word together and listening to one another. Many are going to say, I don't see that out there in our world. People just take shots at one another out in our world. They're going to see us listening to one another and, and seeking truth with one another, and some are going to be drawn to Jesus. And at other times, we're going to face what Stephen faced. Either way, I just tell you, brothers and sisters, we find our lives when we obey God. Now that's my main message to you. I have just two more things I want to give you quickly because I think they're so important about living for God in this world. So the second point I want you to mark down is if you're trying to figure out how to know how to live for God, I find that we find guidance for how to live like Stephen did with courage and grace when our single-hearted desire is to obey God. You see, I, I think sometimes it's kind of a smorgasbord for us here. Well, I'll try that out, you know. But when our deepest desire is, Lord, I, you made me, I'm going to obey you. Then we'll be getting clarity about the big decisions. And I think that especially happens when we face difficult times. I've talked with a number of our students this week, and they tell me sometimes, you know, going to church their whole lives, sometimes this whole religion thing, faith, seems so, um, what were the words, theoretical, up teaching theology and, and sometimes irrelevant to where they are. And I think that's especially true when our lives are, everything's good and easy. And let's face it, when everything is going easy and when it's going well, what are the decisions we have to make? Lord, would you have me invest in bonds or stocks this week? Now, I'm not saying that's an unimportant decision. I'm just saying it's, it's probably not the thing that's going to drive you to God. But I'm telling you, when you face what Stephen faced, that, then you say, what does God say? What does He really require of me? You become a better student of the Word. I even think you may listen to sermons better. You're going to come and say, I hope that preacher talks about something that matters this week. Because when you really are facing a tough time uh, and, and your life is wholly committed to obeying God, the tough times drive you there. If, if the early church had only had good times, you know, the earliest days, it just kept growing and they found favor with everyone. Then our many brothers and sisters who have had to live under atheistic communism or the many who have had to live in Middle Eastern countries, sometimes had to flee them, wouldn't even have any idea about how to live. But here we learn from our brothers and sisters how Christians conduct themselves in a world that isn't always positive about us. What did Stephen do? He thought... What does Jesus require of me? He told me I have to be his witness. Acts 1.8. I'm going to be his witness. When the persecution came, how do I act? 
He knew how Jesus had acted when he unjustly was crucified. I'm going to show his same patience and peace and graciousness when I face it as well. What do I do when everybody is is falsely accusing me? I will do what Jesus did. Offer the opportunity of forgiveness through Christ. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Brothers and sisters who have lived under governments that opposed Christians have affirmed to me over and over again over the years in my relationships that they have discovered God's guidance. They've discovered the wisdom of God's word most clearly when they have been ready to obey him in the midst of hostility. And I think we will as well. And the final point. If you wonder if this thing about God is real, I just tell you, I think we experience God's presence. We experience that God is real, His presence, and we experience His peace when we really obey Him in the midst of opposition. I I think I told you, I think sometimes we don't really see miracles because we're not obeying God. When, when we obey God, He shows up. You know, sociologists tell us that any culture that you're in has to find a way to help you understand suffering and death. That no matter where you are in the world, any time in history, whatever religion is dominant in that, every society has to explain uh, this reality that hits us all of suffering and death. So if, if you grew up under Buddhism... Uh, pretty much uh, Buddhism says that that doesn't really matter. So you have to learn to endure and even ignore pain and suffering and come to what Buddhist teachers have called a post-gained no-knowledge. That you can live through the suffering and pain and death simply by resigning yourself to the fact that none of it really matters. Uh, Hinduism uh, has a completely different approach. It says that all of life is just this cyclical uh, happening of life, death, and rebirth, all governed by karma. So, so you, you look at the suffering in the world in the light of that. Now, you want know sociologists also tell us, and I'm sure they're right, that the society God has put you and me in, here in the United States, in the Western world, is least capable of explaining suffering and death, perhaps of any society in the history of the world. Because our two main values are individualism and materialism. If individualism, I want what I want, is the center of your being, then when things go wrong, you don't get what you want. Your whole life is filled with despair and bitterness. If materialism is the thing that you think gives you real life, I've got to have more and more, then when that more and more is taken away, you will be filled with despair. There's nothing to live for. Brothers and sisters, God has put us here in this kind of a world that cannot explain suffering and death to the people of our community. And we are here to tell them, as Stephen did, that there's something much better to live for than myself and much bigger to live for than material things. Amen? And somehow our lives have to show that. So here, notice that Stephen, in the midst of the worst times, was not in despair. And at that moment, in verse 56, he saw, I love this, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the place of authority in in their culture. Now, you need to know this. 
people new to reading the Bible. The Bible almost always says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, that, that his work is done. But they, twice we read that Stephen saw him standing there. And what I see him saying is this, Jesus isn't just sitting there not caring, but he's actively there at work. He knows where I am. There's a purpose behind this taking place, and we'll think about this next week, so you've got to come back to church. Where did this lead to? Uh, he, he saw that he was standing at the right hand of God, and Stephen said, I will trust him. He saw the glory of God. And in the light of that, he was able to do what Jesus did. He forgave when others were ready to destroy. He was gracious when everybody else was just furious. He was able to pray for them when they were destroying him. I think that what we see in, in Stephen was a commitment to reflect the way of Jesus to his world. That Jesus, when he was unjustly accused, did not open his mouth. When he was condemned without evidence, he also prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And here's the big part. When he was asked to bear the punishment for my sins and yours, he didn't say, ah, they made the mistake. Let them live in it. He absorbed the evil and offers us back forgiveness and a new life. That's why we're in church today. This is worth living for. Apostle Peter was probably older than Stephen. Ben, I think he's kind of probably like you and me. <laughs> and yet, uh, it was Peter who learned from Stephen here. And later, writing to Christians who were going through hard times, he pointed them back to Jesus. And here's what he wrote. Look at it. So if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Because to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you and I should follow in his steps so that when the authorities hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is what we have to do, he entrusted himself to his father, the one who judges justly. So I submit this to you. Stephen's life was so beautiful in the midst of the hostility because he looked so much like Jesus. A standing for what's right, courageously, offering wisdom when the people only wanted emotion and compliance, offering not condemnation but forgiveness. I'm just insisting on talking about Jesus when the world wanted nothing to do with him. Lord, teach us at Lake Avenue Church how to live even in the face of opposition that we too may reflect the glory of Jesus. Amen. Let, let me lead us in prayer. So Father, I pray I've been faithful to your word. I pray we will be faithful to your word, whatever happens around us. I pray we too will see your glory. 
that for us going to church isn't just punching a clock or just a habit or tradition that we do, but a time of meeting you together with your people. Father, speak to us. Show us areas of our lives that we haven't surrendered to you, that we're not obeying you in. Father, I pray that the deepest longing of each of our hearts will be hearts of obedience and surrender to you. And that we, like Stephen, will find our lives in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.